Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. For over 175 years, four purposes have defined Hillsdale's mission, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to our brothers and sisters at Hillsdale for their great sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Number 877-381-3811, While Iran's about to break out with nuclear weapons, while the Ukrainians are beginning to lose the war and territory to the invading Russians, while communist China has two million Muslims in concentration camps and is preparing for war with Taiwan. While our border is wide open, with a massive number of people prepared to come over. Inflation is through the roof. Gas prices are through the roof. Food shortages and worse coming. Crime through the roof. There will be primetime hearings on none of that. None of it. Not the threat of a depression, not the threat of nuclear war. Not the threat of another million people coming into the United States illegally. No, 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 no. Not a hearing on murder through our cities day in and day out, particularly on weekend nights. Now, the Democrat Party with two never-Trumpers are going to hold a hearing on what they say is the greatest threat ever to American democracy. They're not the greatest threat, of course. And I want to discuss that with you in a moment at some length. But before I do, the President of the United States, the putative President of the United States, Joe Biden, has failed to even issue a statement on the 78th anniversary of D-Day, but at least he's consistent. He failed to issue a statement on the 77th anniversary of D-Day. Now, if this had been a day about climate change and the Green New Deal 
I've had been a day about the LGBT community, quite frankly. If there'd been a day about horrific event in American history, he'd be issuing more than one statement. But D-Day, nothing. Silence. Not a word. Trump recognized D-Day. Even Obama recognized D-Day. Bush recognized D-Day. Clinton recognized D-Day. What is it about D-Day that this administration is ashamed of? And so I take you back to June 6, 1984, the 40th anniversary of D-Day, with Ronald Reagan, who went to Normandy, France. Went to Normandy, France, to recognize those men who died so we would live free. Cut 20, go. Forty summers have passed since the battle that you fought here. You were young the day you took these cliffs. Some of you were hardly more than boys with the deepest joys of life before you. Yet you risked everything here. Why? Why did you do it? Well, what impelled you to put aside the instinct for self-preservation and risk your lives to take these cliffs? What inspired all the men of the armies that met here? We look at you and somehow we know the answer. It was faith and belief. It was loyalty and love. The men of Normandy had faith that what they were doing was right. Faith that they fought for all humanity. Faith that a just God would grant them mercy on this beachhead or on the next. It was the deep knowledge, and pray God we have not lost it, that there is a profound moral difference between the use of force for liberation and the use of force for conquest. You were here to liberate, not to conquer, and so you and those others did not doubt your cause, and you were right not to doubt. You all knew that some things are worth dying for. One's country is worth dying for. And democracy is worth dying for because it's the most deeply honorable form of government ever devised by man. All of you loved liberty. All of you were willing to fight tyranny. And you knew the people of your countries were behind you. The Americans who fought here that morning knew word of the invasion was spreading through the darkness back home. They fought or felt in their hearts, though they couldn't know in fact... That in Georgia, they were filling the churches at 4 a.m. In Kansas, they were kneeling on their porches and praying. And in Philadelphia, they were ringing the Liberty Bell. Something else helped the men of D-Day. Their rock-hard belief that Providence would have a great hand in the events that would unfold here. That God was an ally in this great cause. And so the night before the invasion... When Colonel Wolverton asked his parachute troops to kneel with him in prayer, he told them, do not bow your heads, but look up so you can see God and ask his blessing in what we are about to do. Also that night, General Matthew Ridgway on his cot, listening in the darkness for the promise God made to Joshua, I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. 
These are the things that impelled them. These are the things that shaped the unity of the Allies. When the war was over, there were lives to be rebuilt and governments to be returned to the people. There were nations to be reborn. Above all, there was a new peace to be assured. These were huge and daunting tasks, but the Allies summoned strength from the faith, belief, loyalty, and love of those who fell here. They rebuilt a new Europe together. There was first a great reconciliation among those who had been enemies, all of whom had suffered so greatly. The United States did its part, creating the Marshall Plan to help rebuild our allies and our former enemies. The Marshall Plan led to the Atlantic Alliance, a great alliance that serves to this day as our shield for freedom, for prosperity, and for peace. In spite of our great efforts and successes, not all that followed the end of the war was happier planned. Some liberated countries were lost. The great sadness of this loss echoes down to our own time in the streets of Warsaw, Prague, and East Berlin. The Soviet troops that came to the center of this continent did not leave when peace came. They're still there, uninvited, unwanted, unyielding, almost 40 years after the war. Because of this, Allied forces still stand on this continent. Today, as 40 years ago, our armies are here for only one purpose, to protect and defend democracy. The only territories we hold are memorials like this one and graveyards where our heroes rest. We in America have learned bitter lessons from two world wars. It is better to be here ready to protect the peace than to take blind shelter across the sea, rushing to respond only after freedom is lost. We've learned that isolationism never was and never will be an acceptable response to tyrannical governments with expansionist intent. But we try always to be prepared for peace, prepared to deter aggression, prepared to negotiate the reduction of arms, and yes, prepared to reach out again in the spirit of reconciliation. In truth, there is no reconciliation we would welcome more than a reconciliation with the Soviet Union, so together we can listen, lessen the risks of war now and forever. As I said, Donald Trump recognized each the anniversaries, all four, of the D-Day invasion, as well as other military operations when he was Commander-in-Chief President of the United States. Biden, two years in a row, has not. And much has been said about past presidents, including Trump, with the draft affirmance. Biden had five draft affirmance. Five. According to USA Today, five. And a medical exemption for asthma. In essence, six. The response is, well, Donald Trump had draft deferments. We know this. But you would think if you had five draft deferments and a medical exemption for asthma, that you would make it a point to recognize those who have, in fact, served in the United States military in one of the most difficult battles, not just in American history, but world history, and one of the most important, the invasion on D-Day. 
if we had failed, we may well have lost the war. And it was the major step towards taking back Europe. Not a peep. The only beach Joe Biden recognizes at Rehoboth, which is where he was over the weekend, walking in the sand there. One more short clip, if I may, from the History Channel, Mr. Producer. Cut 21, go. Well, D-Day was obviously the most important single fight of that war. And, of course, had we lost it, there's no telling what the outcome would have been. Since the American entry into the war, American generals had been agitating for an opportunity to fight the Germans directly. The D-Day invasion, invasion of Normandy, in June 1944, represented the cutting edge of this offensive. Essential condition that underwrote the success of D-Day was the fact that Germany had been bled virtually to death by fighting on the Eastern Front uh, for several years against the Red Army and the Soviet Union before D-Day ever happened. The Germans had been preparing for this invasion as long as the Americans and the British had been, and they had been digging in. And they knew that they could inflict appalling casualties on the first units ashore. Well, somebody had to do it. And so the soldiers went, and indeed, those first units did suffer very high rates of death and wounding. One thing to go on a beach with fan dunes, it's something else when you've got enemy on top of these bluffs. And for some reason, our naval gunnery was either off or something went wrong there. They couldn't destroy those gun emplacements. But eventually, the weight of the invasion took hold. The numbers of Americans, the numbers of craft, allowed the Americans and the British to establish a beachhead. And once they established the beachhead, then they could bring more and more soldiers and equipment ashore. One thing I don't think either the Japanese or the Germans really counted on was what it meant to come up against a massive capitalist industrial power. The ability to build stuff on a massive scale with massive numbers was just something they hadn't really anticipated. If you look back at the old photographs and the footage of that armada, out there off the coast of the war. I don't think they've ever assembled before, after, anything like that. Eventually, it was the technology, it was the weight of American weapons that tipped the balance. But at the very beginning, it was the soldiers, the ones who splashed ashore, the ones who knew that in the first wave, lots and lots of them would never come back. And those are the ones who made possible everything that followed. Rangers who went in first and the waves that came after them stood right up to it. There was more bravery that day than one can hardly imagine. It's too bad this sort of thing isn't taught in our schools. D-Day, Battle of the Bulge, Iwo Jima, Guadalcanal, on and on and on. Europe, obviously. It's not taught. And the people who trash this country could care less. 
to not have the President of the United States in any respect acknowledge what took place 78 years ago today for the second year in a row is a damnable disgrace. But we salute those men here. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Folks, it's no secret that Americans are more divided than ever, and it's not just over what policies will improve our great country. No, it's over whether America is great at all, whether America deserves our love. That's why Imprimus, Hillsdale's Digest of Liberty, is so important. Imprimus looks at the issues of the day from a constitutional perspective, reminding citizens always of our great heritage of liberty. For 50 years, Imprimus has featured speeches given at Hillsdale events by the smartest conservative thinkers and writers. These days, Hillsdale publishes people like Victor Davis Hanson, Molly Hemingway, and Chris Rufo. Over 6.2 million American households and businesses receive Imprimus absolutely free, and I urge you to sign up for it today at absolutely no charge. I always look forward to receiving my copy of Imprimus. My friends at Hillsdale and I want you to have a free subscription as well. To get your free subscription, go to levinforhillsdale.com right now, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I want to start with a little bit of history. Some history on the net. Show trials. What is a show trial? Well, a show trial, according to the Cambridge Advanced Learner's Dictionary and the source, it's a trial organized by a government in order to have an effect on public opinion and reduce political opposition and not in order to find the truth. We have a January 6th gang where the nobody is on that committee, no staff, no lawyers, who represent the people are being accused. There are no Republicans appointed by the Republican Party minority, a minority by four votes in a body of 435 members. There are no staff members representing the Republican Party or the former president. No members, no staff members, nobody. We've never had a committee like this in American history. And this is why it's important to talk about a show trial and what you're in for this week and how they're colluding with the media to do exactly that. The ground has been laid. Yesterday, Sunday shows told us where they're headed, and I'll be right back. Folks, it's no secret that Americans are more divided than ever, and it's not just over what policies will improve our great country. No, it's over whether America is great at all, whether America deserves our love. That's why Imprimus, Hillsdale's Digest of Liberty, is so important. Imprimus looks at the issues of the day from a constitutional perspective, reminding citizens always of our great heritage of liberty. For 50 years, Imprimus has featured speeches given at Hillsdale events by the smartest conservative thinkers and writers. These days, Hillsdale publishes people like Victor Davis Hanson, Molly Hemingway, and Chris Rufo. Over 6.2 million American households and businesses receive Imprimus absolutely free, and I urge you to sign up for it today at absolutely no charge. I always look forward to receiving my copy of Imprimus. My friends at Hillsdale and I want you to have a free subscription as well. 
To get your free subscription, go to levinforhillsdale.com right now. L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Can't got your tongue? Cough up a furball and call 877-381-3811 right now from Mike Levin. Every member of this so-called January 6th committee was appointed by Nancy Pelosi. And the members are as radical as they get. Jamie Raskin is said to be their constitutional expert since he taught the Constitution somewhere. His father was a red, in my humble opinion. And you can look that up yourself. Which means he was celebrated by the Democrat Party, the media, and the left. This is a so-called committee that has not allowed any contrary viewpoints to penetrate its proceedings. Its staff, which includes nine former federal prosecutors, two former United States attorneys, it's all focused on criminalizing political disagreement and furthermore, violating separation of powers themselves for many of the reasons I've already stated many times. It's not the job of a committee of Congress to conduct a parallel criminal investigation for the purpose of providing information to the United States Department of Justice, which is already run by a partisan hack. So everything you will hear and see is defined as a show trial. No due process, no opposition, no adversaries, no staffers who were not appointed by the committee, no Republicans appointed by the committee, all Nancy Pelosi all the time. That is a show trial. Joseph Stalin's show trials were common during his political repressions, such as the Moscow trials of the Great Purge period, 1937-38. Soviet authorities staged the actual trials meticulously. Now, what will be done with what I've said is they'll say I'm accusing this committee of executing people. Obviously, that is what the propagandists for the Soviet-style committee will say, because this is the way propaganda works. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying this is a show trial. The trials were held against Stalin's political enemies, such as the Trotskyites and those involved with the right opposition of the Communist Party. The trials were shams that led to the execution of most defendants. In this case, rather than execution, the smearing of one person after another with the target being Donald Trump. This is a Stalinist-like show trial committee going after their political opposition. <clears throat> Every surviving member of the Lenin-era part was tried. Almost every important Bolshevik from the revolution was executed. Over 1,100 delegates to the party congress in 1934 were arrested. Remember January 6th? I remember it quite differently. I remember hundreds of thousands of people 
peacefully protesting, most of whom didn't even know what was going on in the Capitol building. The killings were part of Stalin's Great Purge, which opportunists and Bolshevik cadres, from the time of the Russian Revolution, who could rally opposition to Joseph Stalin, were killed. He did so at a time of growing discontent in the 1930s for his mismanagement of the Soviet economy, leading to mass famines during periods of rapid and poorly executed industrialization and farm collectivization. Now, putting aside the torture and the murder and that sort of thing, here we have a show trial put on by the Democrat Party in its last days of majority rule in the House of Representatives, going after its main political opponent, Donald Trump, and all the people around him. To take attention away from what this party and what this president have done to this country and are doing to this country. Prominent Americans could even be found to defend Stalin's show trials, a spectacle of political theater so transparent that it would have taken genuine effort not to see through it. Got that? And in this case, American media, the networks, Woodward and Bernstein, among others, in order to terrorize Communist Party members into absolute submission and at the same time eliminate potential rivals, Stalin put on a series of high-profile trials in which prominent communists confessed to treachery against the Soviet Union. In some cases, people were coaxed into making these confessions by threats against their families if they refused. One by one, some of the most loyal communists dating back to the days of the 1917 Bolshevik Revolution solemnly admitted to counter-revolutionary activity. George Orwell could hardly have improved on this eerie and macabre spectacle. Yet there were those on the American left who supported Stalin and vouched for the authenticity of the trials. In 1938, some 150 Americans, prominent in the entertainment industry, signed a statement in support of the verdicts reached in, quote, the recent Moscow trials, unquote. According to the expert opinion of these Broadway stars and assorted glitterati, the trials had, quote, by sheer weight of evidence, established a clear presumption of the guilt of the defendants, unquote. As if this weren't bad enough, people who knew better, who knew better, said the same thing. The U.S. ambassador to the Soviet Union, Joseph Davies, insisted to the American government that the trials were genuine, a claim he stood by in his 1941 book, Mission to Moscow. And he told the New Republic, we see no reason to take the trial at other than its face value. The proceedings, he said, had uncovered the virus of a conspiracy to overthrow the Soviet government. And Walter Duranty, for his part, described it as unthinkable that Stalin could have sentenced his friends to death unless the proofs of guilt were overwhelming and wrote of his conviction that the confessions are true. After his death, Soviet Premier Nikita Khrushchev repudiated the trials in a speech to the 20th Congress of the Russian Communist Party. So what do we take out of this? For the third time, not the summary executions, and it's worse than this, the torture, the kidnapping of family members, and on and on and on. What do we take out of this? We take out of this that this is the Democrat Party through Nancy Pelosi, 
Her personally appointed members to the committee, including the two Republicans, to be used by a Democrat party about to face a brutal defeat as an effort to lash out against its political opponents. Not rhinos, not establishment Republicans, but the Republican base. MAGA, constitutional conservatives, the former president of the United States. Supported by the so-called media, as they have always been supported by the so-called media, whether it's Russia collusion or two unconstitutional impeachments, or the effort with the media colluding, conspiring, and participating in the effort to push Trump out of office by an unconstitutional coup. This is more of the same. Anything you hear will not be evidence. It'll be information that's cherry-picked. It'll be information where there was not an opportunity to dispute it. It'll be information that was forced out of individuals in secret testimony in a windowless room where the interrogators are lined up and the individual is questioned like they're guilty of some offense. Scared to death. Scared to death. Because they also know that this is a criminal investigation in which they have absolutely no rights. This this debacle, this debacle to Americanism will be put on with a lot of drama and flesh. The former president of ABC News is in charge of production. Like it's a documentary. They're going to have production, ladies and gentlemen. They're going to have video. It's at 8 p.m. Eastern time at night, prime time, just to make sure you don't miss it. On all three television networks and beyond. If the Republicans had a committee of this sort, appointed by Kevin McCarthy, with prime time coverage, produced by Fox, with a Stalin-like investigation, you think the networks would be covering it live, prime time at 8 p.m. Eastern, losing all their ad and sponsor revenue? Of course not. No way. The same people pushing critical race theory, the same people pushing sexuality on second graders, the same people lying about Russia collusion, the same people celebrating the riots, the mayhem, and the violence of the 2020 summer, the same people who back Black Lives Matter, These people are trying to convince you that Donald Trump and his surrogates organized a plot, an insurrection, an insurrection organized a plot to overthrow our electoral system. 
not challenged it, not fought it tooth and nail, not not discuss theories on how they could challenge it in the states and theories on how they could have a different set of electors and a, theories on how the vice president of the United States could fight it because there's a lot of ambiguity around that. And I don't care how many damn conservative federal judges they bring up to testify. No. And they will try to paint a picture that this was all a plot. A well-conceived plot. Because some aides may have spoken to each other, may have spoken to the president, the president to them, discussing how to fight widespread legal abuses that took place at the hands of the Democrat Party lawyers, Democrat governors, and Democrat courts. That's correct. That's what's going to be taking place. So at 8 p.m. tomorrow, Eastern Time, excuse me, Thursday, Eastern Time, my suggestion is listen to my show. Listen to my show. Don't watch these hearings. Even out of curiosity. Even Sunday morning on CBS. Did a whole segment on Liz Cheney. It's really a soft news program. Or at least it was supposed to be, but not anymore. And this guy, Robert Costa, interviewed her, who's gotten so many facts wrong. Started at National Review, but he saw. He saw where the limelight was. Moved to the Washington Post. Moved to PBS. Now he's at CBS. Big time. Big time. Robert Costa. Interviewing Liz Cheney, the vice chair of the committee. More when I return. Mark Lovin. Folks, it's no secret that Americans are more divided than ever, and it's not just over what policies will improve our great country. No, it's over whether America is great at all, whether America deserves our love. That's why Imprimus, Hillsdale's Digest of Liberty, is so important. Imprimus looks at the issues of the day from a constitutional perspective, reminding citizens always of our great heritage of liberty. For 50 years, Imprimus has featured speeches given at Hillsdale events by the smartest conservative thinkers and writers. These days, Hillsdale publishes people like Victor Davis Hanson, Molly Hemingway, and Chris Rufo. Over 6.2 million American households and businesses receive Imprimus absolutely free, and I urge you to sign up for it today at absolutely no charge. I always look forward to receiving my copy of Imprimus. My friends at Hillsdale and I want you to have a free subscription as well. To get your free subscription, go to levinforhillsdale.com right now. L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Ask yourself, are the people involved in this committee, behind the scenes, in front of the scenes, the media, which is laying the foundation, like the Russians bombarding cities in Ukraine, before they invade. Do you believe them? Do you trust them? Do you think they've served this country well? And our principles and our beliefs? I hope you heard my monologue last night on life, liberty, and Levin about the ruling class. Maybe in hour three we'll address that. But 
January 6th committee secret advisor, Axios. This is one of the most left-wing sites, so it gets this information, of course. Former president of ABC News, James Goldston, and a master documentary storyteller who ran Good Morning America and Nightline has joined the committee as an unannounced advisor. He's busily producing Thursday's 8 p.m. Eastern Time hearing as if it were a blockbuster investigative special. That's how seriously this committee takes its job. He plans to make it raw enough so that skeptical journalists will find the material fresh and chew over the disclosures and future coverage. So Hollywood and the corrupt news media are working with the Democrats yet again. And he wants it to draw the eyeballs of Americans who haven't followed the ins and outs of the Capitol riot probe. The hearing will be a mix of live witnesses and pre-produced video. The committee has gained access to official White House photographs from January 6th that have never before been seen. Only a fraction of the surveillance footage from inside the Capitol, all kinds of angles were captured, has been shown. And many of the committee's depositions were videotaped. So we'll see the clips. All will be cherry-picked and edited, no doubt, without a single person there live to counter any of it. An aide says the select committee to investigate the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol received 140,000-plus documents and is following up on 472 tips received through the committee's online tip line. The hearings have the makings of a national event. At least two of the broadcast networks will interrupt evening programming for live coverage. ABC's David Muir and CBS's Nora O'Donnell. And NBC will announce plans soon. Sure. There you have it. Is that how we run committee hearings that are supposed to be serious? They will cherry-pick the Republicans to use. They will cherry-pick the video, no doubt edit it. They will cherry-pick the documents. They've already probably had their speechwriters write their speech so they can beat their chests and pat themselves on the back. You'll hear insurrection a thousand times, if not ten thousand times. And you'll hear the word sedition a thousand times, if not ten thousand times. More when I return. This segment of the podcast is exclusively sponsored by Pure Talk. Pure Talk offers great coverage and can save your family money on your wireless bill every single month. Go to puretalk.com to find the plan that's right for you. Thank you again for listening, and thank you so much for this sponsorship, Pure Talk. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. In addition to the points I made in the past hour, what else is this committee up to? It has to have at least the patina of a legislative purpose. It has to camouflage its unconstitutional criminal investigation. 
And Axios tells us again, because that's the go-to, the go-to platform of at least one or two members of that committee or staffers. While others are resisting to overhaul the U.S. election system, Axios has learned that committee members are not. Televised hearings begin Thursday night. These members are lockstep about capturing America's attention by unfurling a mountain of evidence connecting former President Trump and those close to him with the attack on the Capitol. But the committee legacy depends in large part on what reforms it pursues after those hearings to prevent another January 6th from happening, and that's where the United Front breaks down. So already, writes, let's see, Jonathan Swan and Hans Nichols, we don't really need evidence. It's just time for a party. Let the circus begin. Disagreements arise whenever proposals are raised, they write, such as abolishing the Electoral College, vastly expanding voting rights like same-day registration or tightening the Insurrection Act to make it harder for a president to deploy the military domestically for use on civilians. But Trump never did that. Trump never did that. Other presidents did that. And since his father, father was involved in the protests, the Vietnam War protests, which became mighty violent, and other protests, I can see where Jamie Raskin might be coming from. Nobody on the House Select Committee is more committed than Representative Liz Cheney to pursuing Trump for inciting the attack on Capitol Hill. Notice they don't even say alleged anymore. But she flatly opposes some of the more sweeping election law reforms backed by several committee Democrats. The broadest differences are between Cheney and Raskin, according to three sources familiar with the committee's private discussions. This committee leaks like a sieve in order to manipulate the media, which is easily manipulated, to create the narrative and the spin. The two have a warm personal relationship, but fundamentally disagree on what needs to be done to reform America's election laws. So this is about reforming America's election laws, not protecting the Capitol building? Liz is much more conservative as far as what kinds of changes she wants to have done, this one source told him. Wow, really? So they decided, ladies and gentlemen, make a much too long story short, uh, not to air their differences in public and to wait until after their united front for the cameras. Then they'll go back and work out their differences. And of course... Yesterday, Sunday, they turned to the likes of Woodward and Bernstein to tell us what's really going on, what's taking place. And of course, they tell us that Trump is actually worse than Nixon, that Nixon defined corruption, but Trump is even worse. Oh, yes. He's the only president who has been seditious. The only one in American history who's been seditious. Now, uh, Mr. Woodward, we've invited you on this program when your lousy books have come out. And, of course, in your last book, I kicked your ass in terms of sales. But that's beside the point. 
the question is, why won't you come on my show to discuss your investigation of Watergate? Is it because I cite in my book, Mr. Himmelman, who accuses you and Fatso, your partner, of deceiving the American people on certain material facts? And he would know, since he was provided access to all the raw notes and materials that Ben Bradley had, because he was asked, along with Sally Quinn, Ben Bradley and Sally Quinn asked him to write a final book that they were contracted to do about themselves, of course. And when information like that appeared in the book, Woodward was furious with this gentleman. You see a completely different standard, right, when it comes to the criminal justice system, when it comes to congressional treatment, when it comes to members of the media. They wrote for Sunday, of course, we watched in utter dismay as Trump persistently claimed he was really the winner. We won, he said in a speech on January 6th at the Ellipse. We won in a landslide. This was a landslide. He publicly and relentlessly pressured Pence to make him the victor on January 6th. Now, number one, Al Gore relentlessly and obsessively tried to litigate his way into the White House. But we had a Supreme Court led by a real chief by the name of... Who, Mr. Producer? Rehnquist. Not the current chief of staff, John Roberts. Rehnquist put an end to what was going on with these lawsuits and put an end to what was happening with the Florida Supreme Court, which kept changing the law a violation of Article 2. Can't wait to hear what Michael Ludig says, not in real time, but a report on it. If he's completely sold his soul or not. On that day, they write, driven by Trump's rhetoric and his obvious approval. Driven by Trump's rhetoric and obvious approval, that is to be peaceful. A mob descended on the Capitol in a stunning act of collective violence. Broke through doors and windows and ransacked the House chamber where the electoral votes were to be counted. The mob then went in search of Pence, all to prevent the certification of Joe Biden's victory. Trump did nothing to restrain them. Trump offered the National Guard beforehand. The issue is why didn't Pelosi take them? But we all heard what Trump said. He said nothing of the sort. He never said charge the Capitol building, go get Pence, stop anything. By legal definition, the two uh, lawyers, not, they write, this is clearly sedition, conduct, speech or organizing that incites people to rebel against the governing authority of the state. Wow, really? That's it? Truly? Well, then I think we need to arrest the squad immediately. Don't we? I think so. I guess we have to arrest all the reporters during the riots of 2020. Are these guys serious? Thus, Trump became the first seditious president in our history. That's it. Two sentences. They have it all figured out. Never too bright, these two. Years earlier, Nixon was intent on undermining of sovereignty. Folks, the three or f- I guess it's 400,000 of you who have a copy of Unfreedom of the Press, read it. 
read it, you will find what Woodrow Wilson did. You will find what Franklin Roosevelt did. You will find what John Kennedy and Lyndon Johnson did. And this talk about Watergate, was it serious? It was serious enough. But it didn't come close, not even close, to what Lyndon Johnson and John Kennedy did. Not even close. But one of Kennedy's best friends was Ben Bradley. And they certainly didn't want Lyndon Johnson to fail after the great society was being implemented. Not even close. And now it's Trump's turn. He tried to take out Reagan with Iran-Contra. Now it's Trump's turn. For the 15th time. And they're going to have a special ABC News retired president with a documentary. I would love to know the amount of money that's being spent on this committee. I would love the names of the staff to be released. Who are these former prosecutors? Who are these staffers? I would love to have their texts and their emails and their documents as well as Pelosi's in communication with members of the committee, then you'd see the real behind the scenes. Then you'd really see how Washington, D.C. works. There ought to be a committee, all right, investigating Pelosi, the Democrats, Hillary Clinton, the FBI, certain media outlets for what they did to this nation. You want to talk about an insurrection? What the hell do you think Russia collusion was? And Mr. Producer, I want you to invite retired federal judge Michael Ludig on the program. Tell him I want to discuss with him Article 2 of the Constitution and who gets to change election laws in this country. I'd also like to discuss with him a position he apparently holds, one that I used to hold. That the vice president cannot take any steps when it comes to counting electors. It's like my book, The Liberty Amendments. It used to be my position, no, no, Article 5 is a bad idea. But then as I delve further, because I'm intellectually honest, and I objected with myself, when I look into these matters and do my own research, it was obvious to me that that was not the correct position, and I wrote a book on the entire subject and have supported the movement ever since. Neither the Constitution or any law in the 1800s spells out directly, and in the case of the Constitution at all, what power the Vice President of the United States has or does not have, period any more than it spells out judicial review in the Constitution where it doesn't even mention it. Not once. And you look at the power of the courts. The phrase judicial review doesn't even appear in the Constitution. Any more than the Vice President's authority as President of the Senate when it comes to electors. I just want to make that point, but I'd be more than happy to debate anybody. Members of the committee, the prosecutors, just come on the radio show. Stop doing stuff in secret behind the scenes. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. 
Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile are charging you a premium fee every month for data you don't use. Stop paying for things you don't use. Instead of paying $89 a month to your current provider, pay just $20 to Pure Talk for what you actually need. I made the switch, and I'll be honest, I was nervous at first thinking, well, is the coverage really going to be that good? Am I going to drop calls, slow internet? I can tell you firsthand. The 5G service is that good. Switching to Pure Talk was that easy. So listen, don't sit on the fence any longer. You're being ripped off by greedy wireless companies. It's time to take the leap and start saving money every month. Go to puretalk.com, select a plan, then enter promo code Levin Podcast. That's L-E-V-I-N Podcast and save 50% off your first month. You can literally be switched over to Pure Talk service in less than 10 minutes. So go to puretalk.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. Jamie Raskin, who's been involved in both impeachments, whose father was a red, in my humble opinion, is a favorite of Nancy Pelosi's. They create him or, or treat him as a constitutional expert. It's a leftist. And so here he is, Washington Post Live today. Cut one, go. I want to tell the complete story, and then I think we need to have uh, a far-ranging, inclusive public dialogue about what needs to be done in order to prevent uh, these kinds of events in the future. So, you know, a, a limited agenda, of course, is reforms to the Electoral Count Act to clarify, for example, that no, the vice president does not have unilateral, extra constitutional, unwritten authority to uh, single-handedly reject electoral college votes. Uh, if that's all we did, I would consider it very minimal and um you know, almost a diversion because he's nobody... got big plans. He's got big plans. Big plans. And we got to write a constitution, excuse me, a statute that limits the power of the vice president. And then we'll go after the Supreme Court that maximizes the power of the Supreme Court when we load it with our sycophants. So where we want power, we'll expand it. Where we don't, we'll shrink it. It's about right there, pal, constitutional expert. Go ahead. Vice President has that power, and nobody ever believed it, including Vice President Pence, who... Um, well, let, let's, you know, let's wait, pal. That's not how we do the Constitution. Vice President does have that power, uh, even Pence. Ladies and gentlemen... What does Congress do under the tutelage of the president of the Senate, the vice president, if a state sends competing electors to the archivist of the United States? What happens then? What happens then? Well, it's been done, you know. So if it is suggested as a as a strategy, maybe the state of Pennsylvania, maybe the state legislature should set a competing list of electors because the Supreme Court there and the governor there, majority Democrat and the governor Democrat, did what they did. I'm not advocating any of this. I'm just saying as a constitutional matter. Is that sedition? You know, the party of sedition. 
that the party that has participated literally in sedition now has a loose definition of it. Go ahead. Serially rejected all of Donald Trump's overtures to try to get him to assert such powers and reject electoral college votes coming in from Arizona, Georgia, Pennsylvania, and perhaps some other states, too. So if we just said the vice president. Whoa, 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 whoa. It's not the vice president rejects. Rejects. If there are. All right. Here's the problem, folks, and you're never going to get this from Raskin or the others. The vice president has a solemn duty to uphold the Constitution. What does the Constitution says, say? Even take Trump, Pence, take all these people out of it. What if, in fact, you have a state where the governor has changed the election laws in violation of the federal Constitution? And they send the electors in. And the vice president, of course, has taken an oath to uphold the Constitution. What does he do? Does he violate the federal Constitution and insist that that count go forward? What does he do? I'm just curious. The Constitution is silent. Federal law is silent. Nobody thinks the vice president could... What are you talking about? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. So this is what I mean. This is why I'm more than happy to debate any of these individuals on this program in front of 14 million of you. I believe in transparency. And I would debate them without even attempting to hold them criminally liable. So that's the truth. But you heard what he said. They want to take the electoral count act change that to be more clear about what the vice president's job is or isn't now there in and of itself is a uh, is a confession that it's not clear enough nobody said these people were bright i'll be right back Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile are charging you a premium fee every month for data you don't use. Stop paying for things you don't use. Instead of paying $89 a month to your current provider, pay just $20 to Pure Talk for what you actually need. I made the switch, and I'll be honest, I was nervous at first thinking, well, is the coverage really going to be that good? Am I going to drop calls, slow internet? I can tell you firsthand. The 5G service is that good. Switching to Pure Talk was that easy. So listen, don't sit on the fence any longer. You're being ripped off by greedy wireless companies. It's time to take the leap and start saving money every month. Go to puretalk.com, select a plan, then enter promo code Levin Podcast. That's L-E-V-I-N Podcast and save 50% off your first month. You can literally be switched over to Pure Talk service in less than 10 minutes. So go to puretalk.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. Mark Levin, an unapologetic patriot and unapologetic constitutionalist. You can reach him at 877-381-3811. All right, I could play a Liz, uh, Dizzy Lizzie Cheney on CBS Sunday Morning. It used to actually be a good show. Or Adam Schiff on Deface the Nation. You can see what's been going on here with the Sunday shows. 
CBS is all in, ABC is all in, Washington Compost is all in, NBC is all in, and all the rest of them. They think this is it. This is how they're going to destroy you. You folks. And I had mentioned to you this gentleman who had written this piece, actually was in his book, the book that he had written uh, for uh, Ben Bradley and his wife, Sally Quinn. And 10 years ago in New York Magazine, The Red Flag in the Flower Pot by Jeff Himmelman. So you got these guys, you know, but Woodward and Bernstein, they're pointing the fingers at everybody, so you have to assume they're as clean as can be, right? Well, don't, because they're not when it comes to the truth. And he wrote in this piece, in part, in all the president's men and ever since, Woodburn and Bernstein have maintained that while they tried to get members of the Watergate Grand Jury to talk about the proceedings, none did. But in Ben Bradley's files, Jeff Himmelman discovered a memo that suggests that one source, a woman they called Z, whom Woodward later said had been important to the story of Deep Throat, as a matter of fact, he said, as important as Deep Throat, was a grand juror. In fact, they disguised in the book. He didn't have much interest in this stuff I was digging up either, writes Himmelman. Whenever I found a letter that I thought was particularly incisive or relevant or funny, I would bring it into the office for Woodward. He would hold it up, scan it, and then put it aside with the very intention of never looking at it again. But the reading was reward enough. Ben Bradley began one letter to Jesse Jackson, and he talks about that. And no consequence here. But it wasn't just his saltiness that got me. The boxes were a kind of archive of Washington history after the war. In one of them, I found an invitation to a birthday party, a generic card with furry animals aligned along the side. I looked more closely. I noticed that the party was for John Kennedy Jr. at the White House. Party never happened, of course. It was for November 26, 1963. Kennedy was assassinated on the 22nd. And he goes on about these different things that he found. And so forth. He said, you found one here with uh, Woodward. So that's what you gave me first, running room. This is on Woodward's personal stationery. He began with his first interview with Ben in September 1991 for his book, All the President's Men. So that's what you gave me first, running room. It was a magnificent gift. I felt it every day, and it came directly from you. There was this huge sense that we were your boys or girls or people. The entire newsroom turned loose. Running room was a matter of pride and obligation. We didn't understand fully what it was, but we recognized daylight and went for it because that is where you were pointing. Daylight, news, the unexpected and surprising, the daily folly and occasional generosity of mankind, that endless buffet. Woodward doesn't normally write like that. When I worked for him, writes Himmelman, he would sometimes encourage me to swing for the high vines. But he was always hesitant to do the same. Most of the time it was hard to tell how Bob really felt about anything. The way you and Sally have extended your family to ours, wrote Woodward. 
recent years as a cornerstone of our life. I'm feeling older. If the running room is a little less and the rear and doesn't move as fast, the old fires of deep appreciation, deeper imag- admiration, and the deepest love still burn for you. At one point, did you become friends? Himmelman asked Woodward about him and Bradley. Well, you know, he began, I think you've probably got other people. He trailed off. Ben and I are close, and we have this history. But he's not going to call me up and say, hey, come on down and have a beer. I think he does that with Jim Lair and Jim Wooten and Shelby Coffee. some. He said referring to three of Ben's friends, but a bit uncertainty. I don't really know. Bob paused, thought for a moment. I mean, you know, it's ultimately like another father. Like with your father, you feel that you never close the deal. An hour later, as I sat out in the back garden with his wife, Elsa, Woodward brought out a bottle of white wine. I mentioned that I uncovered some information in Ben's files that I didn't know quite how to handle. Bob's ears perked up. The mention of a secret, and he flashed a knowing smile. All biographies are concealers, he said. At that point, I was still writing a book with Bradley, not about him, but I had the first flicker of the realization that writing about your mentor's mentor is a trickier proposition than it seems. He viewed Woodward as his mentor. And Woodward viewed Bradley as his mentor. Over the next year, the job changed. Ben decided he didn't want to write another book after all, but he told me he'd cooperate if I wanted to write about him on my own. He opened his entire life to me, from his archives of the Washington Post, to his friends, his colleagues, his dinner table, and his lounge chairs by the pool. Not to say that he bared his soul, he didn't divulge any deep private thoughts and so forth. Nothing ever seemed out of bounds, though, even the big stuff. I don't give an F what you write about me, he told me at a dinner one night, when I brought him material that questioned the established narrative of Watergate. He said, don't feel that you you have to protect me, just follow your nose. Ben's Watergate files weren't the most organized part of his archives, but as a window into the guts of the reporting, they were mesmerizing. And one of the more tantalizing items from the start was a dense seven-page memo. The set of initials at the top, it was hard to read, a faint copy of a typewritten document, contained more than 100 data points, seemingly taken down in rapid-fire style by Carl Bernstein soon after an interview. It goes on about Sirica, the judge. goes on. I'm getting to the part. I'm trying to find the part. It was late at night. I was sitting in a remote farmhouse in Virginia, and I could hardly believe what I was reading. For four decades, Carl Bernstein and Bob Woodward have insisted that the grand jurors they contacted had given them no information. For four decades, that story endured as it was replayed in interviews and reread in library copies of all the president's men. And as Woodward and Bernstein and Bradley became a holy trinity of newspaper journalism. But according to the memo, it didn't appear to be true. Z was no mystic. She was a grand juror in disguise and had apparently broken the law by talking to Woodward and Bernstein. Had al- and they had always denied it in 1974 and as recently as 2011. So what did Woodward and Bernstein actually learn from this grand juror? They learned who the grand jury was most interested in. That was White House Chief of Staff Bob Haldeman and Presidential Assistant John Ehrlichman who had received information from wiretaps. And the White House counsel, John Dean, was very involved, quote-unquote. In early 1973, asked by Sam Irvin for his best and most important leads, Bob put grand jurors' information on the same level as deep throats, 
That's a pretty high level. A few weeks later, I went over the memo with Ben Bradley in his office. It doesn't ring a huge bell, he said. I don't ever remember probing whether they had talked to the grand jury, maybe because I was scared that they had. When I had a conference call with Carl Bernstein and Bob Woodward last week, this is, remember, 10 years old. They asked them to commit to comment on the grand juror's identity. They conceded she was a grand juror, but insisted that Carl hadn't known it when he first went to visit her and said they disguised, uh, uh, disguised her only to protect their source, calling her Z. They said they'd long since forgotten the episode. This is a footnote to a footnote, Woodward protested. But perhaps the most telling moment had occurred when I reached Bernstein on his own. Earlier that day, right before we hung up, he said, Riley, maybe they'll send us all to jail after all. In April of 2010, Carol, Bradley's secretary, called to tell me that somebody had located a couple of stray Bradley boxes at the post-storage facility. In one of the boxes were two interviews that Bradley had done with Barbara Feynman, who was helping him with his memoir in 1990. Quote, I mean, the crime itself was really not a great deal. Had it not been for the Nixon resignation, it would be really a blip in history. The Iran-Contra hearing was a much more significant violation of the Democratic ethic than anything in Watergate, said Bradley. You hear this, folks? Later came a longer section that told me more about what it felt like at the Post during Watergate than anything else I had read. <clears throat> None of the recreations that I've seen do justice to the absolute passion and statements. Ben Bradley. Dealing with Woodward and Bernstein became as they became more skilled in subterfuge, as they became more skilled in double meanings and triple meanings and quadruple, became hard to deal with. Their great habit was to come, a, come around about 7.30 at night to say they had a hell of a story. Did they do that on purpose? They were asked. Of course they did it on purpose because they thought the guard would be down. They could slip it into the paper without the usual sort of grilling. Were they scared of you at all? <clears throat> they say they were, but I'm not sure. Later in the interview, Ben talked about Bob's famous secret source, whom he claimed to have met in an underground garage in a rendezvous arranged via signals involving flower pots and newspapers. You know, I have little problem with deep throat, Ben told Barbara, the interviewer. Did that potted plant incident ever happen? A meeting in some garage, one meeting in the garage, 50 meetings in the garage. I don't know how many meetings in the garage. There's a residual fear in my soul that that isn't quite straight. I read it over a few times to make sure, said Simmelman. Did Bradley really have doubts about Deep Throat's story? As it had been passed down from newsroom to book to film to history. And if he did, what did he mean? I wrote Bob to set up an interview, about 45 minutes of prepared questions about Watergate in Bob's living room. Bob read silently for a while, where he's saying there's a residual fear in my soul that this isn't quite straight. He trailed off. He knew the news as soon as he saw it. That's what I was curious about, Bradley told him. Seven minutes after he started reading, he put the pages down and looked at me. He was visibly shaken. I'm not sure what, he said, all vigor drained from his voice, then quietly, what's the question? There is no question, I said, uncertainly. You know, I can understand. Woodward said after another minute or two, excuse me, Bradley said after another minute or two, look, he's got to be, you got to understand his strength as a skeptic and that he would say, anyway, it goes on. 
I hope you were able to follow me. Serious, serious questions raised about some of the story told by Woodward and Bernstein about their sources. Apparently, according to this article, they did use a grand jury, which you know is a violation of federal criminal law. They'd claimed all those years that they had not. And apparently these meetings in the garage and all this information about flower pots and all the rest, Bradley was, in fact, skeptical about it. According to Himmelman's reporting. And that's why when these two men write their piece about Trump, they've lived off this Watergate for their entire careers. They've made millions living off of it. They've built their names on it. Now they're gunning for Trump, accusing him of being seditious. I wouldn't trust these two rat finks for anything or with anything. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile are charging you a premium fee every month for data you don't use. Stop paying for things you don't use. Instead of paying $89 a month to your current provider, pay just $20 to Pure Talk for what you actually need. I made the switch, and I'll be honest, I was nervous at first thinking, well, is the coverage really going to be that good? Am I going to drop calls, slow internet? I can tell you firsthand. The 5G service is that good. Switching to Pure Talk was that easy. So listen, don't sit on the fence any longer. You're being ripped off by greedy wireless companies. It's time to take the leap and start saving money every month. Go to puretalk.com, select a plan, then enter promo code Levin Podcast. That's L-E-V-I-N Podcast and save 50% off your first month. You can literally be switched over to Pure Talk service in less than 10 minutes. So go to puretalk.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. You know, ladies and gentlemen, when I prepare for this program every single day, I try to make sure I embark some interesting, intriguing, at least new information to you that you may not be aware of. Many of you are not aware of what I just was conveying to you from 10 years ago. And the only way to do that is to take this job seriously and to work at it. Not just kick your feet back and blurt out things that you pick up on a website three hours before the show. It's not the way this is done. I learned that from Rush and Sean. And on my own, quite frankly, on Sundays when I began on WABC. Show's a little different. Just like my television show's a little different. Just like Levin TV's a little different. Just like the books are a little different. What I read to you was also in one of my books, but I can't remember which one while I'm sitting here, believe it or not. <clears throat> so I'm very frustrated about that. But I go into this Woodward and Bernstein stuff. Why? Because nobody else does. Himmelman did, but Himmelman was attacked, of course. They tried to destroy him, just as they tried to destroy the men who revealed Walter Durante. They're good at that at the New York Times and the Washington Post. 
Another powerful hour left, ladies and gentlemen, as we keep building to a crescendo here. So I will be here. I hope you will as well. And I'll be right back. Hey, folks, remember I said if you know how to do something to stop American Marxism, you really should get involved. Well, I want to tell you about Jeff Bermont, a real American who really heard me. Turns out he's just as sick as I am of seeing big tech censoring right media and promoting liberal bias on the Internet. So what's he doing about it? Having built web browsers for over a decade, Jeff took his own money and built the first of its kind free speech browser called Tusk. Like Rumble and Truth Social, Tusk is built by conservatives for conservatives. Get Tusk for your phone, tablet, and computer. And I'll tell you, there's nothing better. I love the browsing experience and anti-censorship news feed so I can see the stories that matter. Tusk is free. Get it now at TuskBrowser.com. That's T-U-S-K Browser.com. And see what difference free speech can make. If you hate censorship like I do, I know you're going to love Tusk. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, Many in the media trying to catch up or where we've been since a week or two ago, Mr. Producer. It's a fascinating thing. Yamichi Alcindor, how she is a reporter for any platform is beyond me. Well, actually, it's not. She's the perfect phony Democrat leftist dressed up as a journalist. Yamichi Alcindor, she's on MSLSD today, and she has this contribution to make to the events, the concocted events by this Stalinist committee starting Thursday night. Go. I think the, the biggest challenge for lawmakers here as they talk about these sort of huge ideas of American democracy and sort of the experiment that we're all living and benefiting from possibly being brought to his knees is whether or not they can make people care, Andrea. There are so many things that people are juggling between gas prices and inflation, baby formula, abortion and, and the shootings that are happening. These lawmakers are going to try to now have a narrative to focus the country's attention to say, look at this thing. Do not turn away and understand that while all those other things are really, really important, the foundation of our country, what makes our country function, is a democracy that we have to protect. And who better to protect it than Yamichi Alcindor, Andrea Mitchell, MSNBC, and the other reprobates, miscreants, and malcontents that pretend to be part of a free press? Who better? Nobody, of course. Nobody, of course. Well, some of you, unfortunately, were not able to watch Life, Liberty, and Levin, and I won't bore you with all aspects of it. But there are a couple of things that I do want you to hear, Mr. Producer, if I could find the damn thing. Let's, let's go, let's start with Cut 22. Go. This may be the most important opening statement I've ever made on this program, or maybe any other program. Why? Well, we have to come to terms with something. 
The Constitution exists to protect us from two things, an overly powerful ruling class and an out-of-control mob. We're not a pure democracy. We don't have a parliament. And on the other hand, we don't have a centralized government, or not supposed to, that can rule with an iron fist. And so when people talk about democracy, they completely misstate the purpose of our government. Our government is intended to protect the individual and individual liberties. You know of any other country that has a Bill of Rights? I don't know of any other country that does. Individualism is key. The Declaration of Independence talks about unalienable rights for every single human being, natural rights. And the authority comes from God, not from government. Well, we have a serious, serious problem in this country. The Constitution has been breached constantly. In many respects, we live in a post-constitutional America. And let me explain what I mean. At every turn in our society now, promoted by the media and academia and certainly the politicians themselves, the goal is to empower the ruling class. They'll use their mob, they'll abuse the middle class, but the goal is to empower the ruling class. And we have a ruling class that is narcissistic, that is incompetent, and in many respects, anti-American. And we've seen failure upon failure for which they take absolutely no responsibility. And as a matter of fact, when they fail, they blame you, the American people. When they fail, they blame other people, institutions, our history. They do whatever they can to deflect. Why? Because the answer to their failure is always more power for them and less freedom for you. Look at this slaughter that just took place in Texas. Gun control, red flag laws. Joe Biden gives a speech. Man's been in government his entire life. Senator, 36 years, vice president, eight years. Now he's president of the United States. Keep saying, we need to do this, we need to do that. For God's sakes, enough is enough. And what is the answer? To steal more and more liberty from the individual, to pretend the Bill of Rights don't exist. They're flexible, they're pliable, they're whatever the ruling class wants it to be. Last month, the issue was the First Amendment. Remember that? Oh, you know, freedom isn't really totally free, and free speech isn't absolute, and the Second Amendment's not absolute, but what is absolute? the growing power of the central government and the ruling class, the incompetent, narcissistic, and in many respects, anti-American ruling class. This slaughter in Texas. When Joe Biden gave that speech, he described what took place in that classroom. It was a horror. We're learning more and more what took place in that classroom. Let me tell you what took place in that school district, in that classroom. We had a police force led by a man who was a complete incompetent and a coward. They didn't breach that school, get in there and kill the mass murder. That's what they're trained to do since the Parkland slaughter. That's what they're trained to do. Ramos, that's the killer's name, Ramos, he was all over social media. The community knew he was a nut job. What did they do, the authorities? Absolutely nothing. What did big tech do? Absolutely nothing. Busy chasing down conservatives or people who have different views on masks. Look at the slaughter in Buffalo. Again, a failing of the ruling class. That mass murderer, who was a white supremacist, he was all over social media. He wasn't hiding who he was or what he wanted to do. 
He wasn't caught. And the hospital lets him out in 36 hours. They have some of the strictest gun control laws in New York and a red flag law in New York. The idea that more laws would have stopped him if we don't have a ruling class, whether they're running our hospitals or whether they're running our our Internet services and our social platforms or whether they're running a police department or whether they're running a country that is not competent, that is not focused, that is not looking for ways to grab more power rather than to effectively exercise and manage the power that they have. Well, more laws are not going to matter in terms of capturing the bad guys. The same ruling elite that praised the 2020 riots, the same ruling elite that was painting Black Lives Matter signs in the streets, a Marxist organization, a corrupt organization, a racist, anti-Semitic organization, the same ruling elite that was defunding police departments, slashing their budgets, trashing their own cops, lying about their their uh, racism and so forth. That ruling elite, we're going to rely on them to have more power. I'm not going to play the rest of the monologue. That's only half of it. You can go to uh, any of my social sites, Mark Levin show, whatever it is. Uh, we've got a number of them. Twitter, um, Parler, Rumble, Getter, Truth truth social and it's there and i hope you'll listen to it and share it with as many people as you can i think it's important that we get this that we get this drilled down i have i have quotes here ladies and gentlemen from dana milbank a reprobate at the washington compost whatever he's paid he's overpaid Mehdi hassan who had that anti-Semite Talib on his program over at MSNBC. It's just one after another after another. And this is what you're going to get. You're going to get the leaks before the hearings. You're going to get the Stalinist viewpoint from the hearings. History, you know, I hate to say this, but I I have to be straightforward with you. No republic has lasted forever. And in fact, when you look at Athens or when you look at Rome, this republic is doing more poorly than they were at this time during their republics. So in other words, the cancer is spreading faster in the American republic than it did in Greece or Rome. Depends how you count, but Rome lasted a thousand years. We're not even at year 300. It's really amazing how quickly this is happening. I mean, it's been happening for a long time, but in the last few years, really since Obama. And that's why they hate Trump. This is the main reason they hate Trump. Because Trump got elected after Obama, his disastrous eight years, reversed course, loved the country, embraced Americanism and all that that means, securing the border, securing the rule of law, trying to do it even though he was under horrific attack by the Obama forces, by the American Marxist forces. 
as he is still. As he is still. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Now, folks, you've heard me talk about Omaha Steaks for ages. The best steaks, mouth-watering, juicy, unbelievable. And with Father's Day coming up, here's a tip. Dads want steaks. There's no better gift than steaks. And there's no better place to get them from, Omaha Steaks. Visit omahasteaks.com. Type Levin in the search bar and order the Dads Want Steaks package. You got it. For just 99 bucks. this limited-time package includes, ready for this, 16 mouth-watering entrees like smoky, tender, bacon-wrapped filet mignons, gourmet jumbo franks, air-chilled, boneless chicken breasts, and my absolute favorite, the delicious caramel apple tartlets. You all know I love Omaha Steaks. You're going to love them, too. And as a special gift for my listeners, when you type Levin, L-E-V-I-N, in the search bar and order the Dad's Want Steaks package, you'll get eight, count them, eight free Omaha Steak Burgers. These burgers are full of bold, beefy flavor, and they're even bigger now. Can you hear me? I'm salivating. Don't wait. Send Dad more than just a gift. Send an experience he'll love. Go to omahasteaks.com, type Levin, L-E-V-I-N, into the search bar, and order the Dad's Want Steaks package. You'll get 16 entrees, four desserts, plus eight free Omaha Steaks burgers. That's omahasteaks.com, keyword Levin. Well, it's a pleasure to have former ambassador to the U.N. from the United States, Nikki Haley, with us. Madam Ambassador, how are you? Mark, it's great to be with you. Thank you. Thank you. Look, I can think of few others better at discussing, among other things, Iran than you. They're about to break out with their nukes. This administration has bent over backwards for Iran. Uh, If they get nukes, it's going to be impossible virtually for the next president to deal with. What are your thoughts on this? Because I'm trying to draw more and more people's attention to this. So, you know, to put this into perspective, everybody talks about the Iran deal and that the Obama administration was trying to stop Iran and that the Trump administration messed that all up. The truth is when President Trump had to make a decision about pulling out of the Iran deal, the National Security Council within his administration was torn. And I agreed with him that we needed to seriously look at the deal. So I asked him if I could go to the International Atomic Energy Agency, which was the one that oversaw the Iran deal in Vienna. And I said, can I go there? Can I ask them the questions and come back and I can make the case for you to get out of the Iran deal or not, depending on what I find out? So he um, said, yes, go see what you can find out. I went and sat down with them and I said, okay. Under the Iran deal, as of now, you know, we know a lot of the nuclear production is coming out of the research universities. How often do you check the research universities? They said, we don't. We're not allowed to check the research universities. I said, "Okay." well, we know that the nuclear production itself is coming out of the military installations. So how often are you checking the military installations in Iran? They said, we're not allowed to check any military installations in Iran. So then I said, okay, then what are you allowed to check? And they said, if we get tipped off to production, we have to give them 45 days, and then we go and we do a search. Now, in 45 days, you can wipe anything out. Now, fast forward that, Mark, to the fact that 
The president made the decision to get out of the Iran deal. It was the right thing to do. Now it has come out from the IAEA that they have basically information that Iran has been cheating this entire time, even when mm-hmm. they were in the Iran deal. The U.S. has the opportunity now to get with Germany and censure Iran. It's the best thing we could do, knowing that we now have the facts. The Biden administration has not censured them. It is the one thing that happened during the Trump administration in 2020 that actually made a difference. So, number one, we should absolutely censure them because we have proof that they were cheating the entire time. That needs to happen when they meet coming up soon. The second thing is, I don't know that an Iran deal could happen because now Iran's saying the only way that they'll get back into a deal is if we drop the terrorist um, Mm -hmm. designation. We can't do that. So we're in a world of trouble when it comes to Iran. And we've got to start dealing with them as the threat that they are. When a country says death to America, death to Israel, they mean it. And no deal is going to make them change the way they think. And you know, Nikki Haley, as I read the more recent reports from some of these experts, they're going to keep slow walking this because they have no reason, no reason to negotiate. They're selling their oil to China. They're getting additional technology from North Korea. Uh, Russia has become a more prominent ally. Uh, They're making military alliances with our enemies. And they have no fear of the Biden administration. None whatsoever. So if diplomacy doesn't work, what's going to happen here? And the U.S. is doing nothing about it. Even, you know, at what point do you not go and hold China and and Russia responsible if they do any business with Iran. They're not doing that. You see China and Russia going and now trying to hold hands with Iran, and the world is not saying anything. So Iran doesn't need a deal anymore to act like they're doing the right thing. Now they just can be the terrorists that they are and work with our enemies in doing that. And I don't think the Biden administration knows what to do at all. That's the problem. They they are so in over their heads on this. And this is a real threat. When you talk about a nuclear bomb and you talk about a country that's saying death to America, that shouldn't be a country that you're trying to go hope, be friends with and play in the playground. That should be a country that you're uniting in the, the world against them. And, you know, and you you were, know, again, and I'll yeah. say we should not get into an Iran deal or any negotiations with Iran unless the Arab countries are involved and, get, and unless mm-hmm. Israel is involved, because they all know the threat that Iran is. And they never liked the deal in the first place. Now, you were an effective governor, meaning an executive, and you're watching Joe Biden in the Oval Office now. You must shake your head and scratch your head every single day. Here we have the 78th anniversary of D-Day, and they don't even put out a statement. What is going on in that White House, Nikki Haley? You know, I I think that when you put, you know, Obama 2.0 administrators in there and you put think tankers in there, you're, get a, you're getting a lot of people who have talked about foreign policy but have never negotiated foreign policy. And that's a problem. The second thing is they're running from their shadows. I mean, we saw this with Afghanistan. We've seen this with how they've handled Iran by falling all over themselves to get back into the deal. We've seen this with what they're doing in Ukraine now by refusing to give Ukraine the missiles they need because they don't want to upset Russia. 
all of these things that they continue to do show that they're running scared. And when you look like you're a country that's running scared, every one of your enemies smells blood and they'll do whatever it takes to take advantage of the situation. And, you know, I don't see anyone in the Biden administration that has the spine or the fortitude to say we have got to change the entire trajectory of what we're doing. I'll give you another thing that's really shocking is right now the Biden administration's negotiators just negotiated and it's getting ready to be voted on June 12th that our American pharmaceutical companies, Moderna and Pfizer, Pfizer will have to turn over the intellectual property of our vaccines to China and Russia. Think about that. China, who gave us COVID, Russia, who's started a war, and you're going to go and make our American companies give up leverage. Mm-mm-mm. It's unthinkable. Nikki Haley, can you hold on through the break? I sure can. Many more questions for Nikki Haley, former ambassador to the UN from the United States, among other things, former governor of South Carolina. I'll be right back. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in America with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, much, much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. My wife Julie and I decided it was time to add more flowering trees to our landscape, and Fast Growing Tree was a great resource for us. A large selection and no hassle ordering or shipping. This spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on selected plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEVIN at checkout. L-E-V-I-N. Now that's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using code LEVIN at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code L-E-V-I-N. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Please visit FastGrowingTrees.com for details. This is the Ministry of Truth. The Mark Levin Show. Call in now, 877-381-3811. Welcome back, America. Nikki Haley, inflation is totally out of control. Gas prices are totally out of control. Food shortages and so forth and so on. I mean, this isn't really Putin, is it? I mean, isn't it uh, the Democrat Party gone nuts in terms of spending and and regulations and so forth. I mean, from day one, they wanted to shut down the fossil fuel industry. You know, I think it, it's funny because I think that Biden has been quick to blame Putin and Trump for inflation. And now he's wanting to put it on, you know, the the Fed and Congress to fix it. But the reality is he doesn't mention what he did to American energy production. He doesn't mention what he's done with all these stimulus packages that have basically he's shocked now that you pay people to sit on the couch and they actually do it. He doesn't understand that they started it. But I think they now realize they're in a world of hurt. and They don't know how to fix it. And the reality is, you know, you've got to have a solution to fix inflation. And the first things he should do is you've got to focus on balancing the budget. 
you've got to start banning these earmarks that Republicans and Democrats brought back in, which is ludicrous. You've got to end all the special interest giveaways. You've got to embrace American energy. Those are the only ways you're going to get, you know, inflation back down. But handing out more money is the last thing you want to do, because that's the thing that's causing the problem in the first place. Mark Lovin. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez pitch hitting real quick for the Mark Levin, the great one, because lightning has struck the bunker. He's okay, but he's fiddling around with the equipment to get it back up and running. So we're on with Ambassador Nikki Haley. And now, Ambassador Haley, you were just saying how the Biden administration has grossly dropped the ball, not having a single plan in place to deal with inflation when the writing was on the wall a year ago. It's exactly right. You know, I mean, they don't acknowledge what they did with American energy and how they set all this in motion. They don't acknowledge how their stimulus packages have done nothing to help inflation. They've only, you know, made it increase further. And what they need to do is understand that the solutions to inflation, it's not rocket science, but it does take some some leadership. He needs to start balancing the budget. He needs to stop both Republicans and Democrats from the earmark spending they've put back in place. He needs to stop all the special interest giveaways. And he's got to embrace American energy. You've got to give these oil producers stability and certainty to know that they can start investing in all of this. Again, when we do that, that's when things will start to get fixed. But even more than that is your average American family is having to spend five to six thousand dollars more a year. Now, I can tell you when Michael and I were raising our kids, if we had to spend five or six thousand dollars more a year, you know where we got that from? A credit card. And mm-hmm. interest rates are going up on credit cards. You're about to see a lot of American families suffer when these are things they have to have. You've got to have gas to get to work. You've got to have food to feed your family. And the fact that this inflation is going up and the Biden administration doesn't even know where to start is a scary concept. Uh, Scary indeed. I mean, and and it's not the only area where I think his policies are scary. And if we look at overall Democrat Party and what they're doing across the board, Mark opened up with a really strong statement on this show trial, the Stalinesque show trial that's going down on Thursday night. And I'd love to get your reaction on that and take your time with it, because it's yeah, I think everybody's gut reaction is, well, it's it's travesty. It's crazy. We're, you know, politicizing our entire Congress to to put on this circus on TV during primetime. But I think it cuts deeper than that because it really cuts to the fabric. Well, I think the concern is that you have is, look, they're going to they're going to air this. This would be something American people would want to see if it was fair. But this is basically a Democrat-controlled panel that is now going out trying to sell all its talking points when really all they're trying to do is push for more voter laws. They're trying to get rid of the Electoral College. They're trying to do things that are going to, in their way, favor them on voting rights, and they're going to do it on primetime TV. And, And it's hard for any of us who are from the right side to say, look, why are we going to listen to what you have to say when you didn't even allow any Republicans to sit on the committee? So, you know, it's 
it, you know, it's not going to be, it's going to be great TV for those that want to hear it and want to, you know, whether bash Trump or hate on, on Republicans, it's going to be TV that's not watched by Republicans because they know they really didn't have anybody in the fight that could ask the hard questions that could really get to it. So, you know, it's left everybody just not having credibility in any of the process. 100% right, and that's Ambassador Nikki Haley. And you're right, I think whether it's baby food, whether it's this crazy uh, attack on gun rights now, the Second Amendment is in the crosshairs of the Biden administration. The um, inflation is obviously he's clueless on that, and we've got this show trial. Ambassador, I'm going to wrap it up with you. Uh, final thought. You know, I think what I'll tell you is that, you know, whether it's the baby formula situation, which, you know, we should all look at Susan Rice. She's the one in charge of domestic policy. Whether it's inflation, which Pete Buttigieg is saying, you know, doesn't have an answer to any of it when it comes to the transportation needs, whether it's the fact that they keep trying to pay people off to get votes by stimulus packages and trying to now pay off um, student loans to the fact that they've yet to address the border issue, which is the most unlawful of all, is that they're now allowing people to cross the border that would make the number of people since Biden's been in office been the seventh largest city in America. It's unthinkable. And look, all I can tell you is don't lose faith. We've got elections in 2022 that are going to matter. House elections, Senate elections, governor's elections. We've got to get out. We've got to right the ship. And more importantly, when we win, we have to prove we deserve to be there by making sure we're talking about solutions and policy. Governor Nikki Haley, I want to apologize to you. Our place was hit by lightning, so it killed the whole damn reception. Uh, but Richie does a great job. We want to thank you. We'll have you back, too, okay? Sounds great. Thanks, Mark, and thanks, Richie. It's great chat. God bless. Man, oh, man, Ashevitz, I was blown off that. This is why we have our man Rich and our man Richie. Everything's fine. We were blown off the air, and we are back. Wow, that was a hit. That was a direct hit, Mr. Purdue. I heard it in my ears. And the funny thing is, folks, like, what, three minutes before that happened? I said to Mr. Producer, look, if something happens here, uh, Richie, Mr. Callscreener, who is a great radio host and podcaster in his own right, make sure he steps in. <laughs> By God, that's what happened. Maybe I shouldn't have said anything. I guess I jinxed it. No, but where I am in Florida, it is pouring. It is lightning. It is thunder. Mother Nature can be a real, you know what? Hey, Mr. Producer, we seem to be stuck at 2.8 million people on Twitter. Isn't that strange? We can't move. Now, we know we're moving, but they're not moving us. That's why I hate these bastards, be perfectly honest with you. We can't move, even though we should move. It's really quite bizarre. You know what ESG is? And I've been meaning to get to this for a while. ESG, no, it's not MSG. ESG. Anybody know what that is? Mr. Producer, you know what that is? That is that ideology that's pushed environmental social and governance and the sec has demanded that every corporation in america as a result of its audits determine how well it's doing on esg environment social and governance it's an ideology it's a radical left marxist ideology on climate change global investors on and on and on 
The SEC, as we talked about here before, Securities and Exchange Commission, not the Security and Equality or Equity Commission, has no statutory authority to do this. He's starting to get the drift, starting to feel the pattern. So they're going to have this January 6th meeting, an insurrection, don't you know? And we needed an ABC former president to show us how to do this, to turn it into a, a TV series, six series, six shows in one series. Do you guys hear that on the air? You hear that? The building is shaking. Anyway, you know what it is? The good Lord's up there, and he's not happy. He is not happy with what this country is doing. He is not happy with the direction of this country. That's my take. But after failing to advance their agendas written by the great epic times, Kevin Stockland, by passing laws in Congress, progressives, as they wrongly call them, but what can I tell you, have found that they can impose their will on Americans just as effectively through our financial system. And while some state officials have recently started to fight back, they're heavily outgunned. The world's largest asset manager, BlackRock, the others, State Street and Vanguard. Hello, BlackRock, State Street and Vanguard have signed on to the Global Net Zero Asset Management Initiative and together other people's money, much of it could be your money if you have a mutual fund and so forth, that they manage to pressure companies whose shares they own into pursuing environmental and social justice causes of the hard left. In fact, state pension funds and their managers in California, New York, Maryland, even Texas, are doing the same with the trillions in retirement funds they manage. And these various elements of this ideology have come together under the umbrella of ESG, Environmental, Social, and Governance Finance. Its advocates now include the world's largest banks, asset managers, pension funds, rating agencies, proxy agencies, as well as numerous international corporate clubs, including Climate Action 100+, the global investors. It goes on and on and on. Now, I work for a mothership called Cumulus. Its board is very radical, as well as its top executives. There's no secret about that. All you have to do is Google it. And there's one member of the board of directors, I've told you before, who was a senior advisor to Media Matters. I seem to think his name was Castro, by the way, seriously. He's a very wealthy man based out of Houston, an investment guy, and they're starting a brand new company. And the two people that are supposedly going to lead this company, according to what I read anyway, come out of the Soros and Obama operations. And they want to set up a brand new, I believe a Latino sort of broadcasting platform. I'm sure they're doing this because they fear that more and more Latinos are on to the left. People who escaped Cuba. Excuse me, Cuba, Venezuela, Nicaragua, and other fascist communist regimes. They're on to this. Hardworking Hispanic Americans who see what the left is doing with inflation, with gas prices, who see what the left's doing to their children in the classroom, teaching them. All kinds of crap they want nothing to do with. 
So many of them love America, and they see what took place in 2020 in our streets. 54% of Hispanics voting last November in Virginia voted for the Republicans. Yunkin. So they're worried. They're worried that there's going to be a backlash. And most of these citizens, they're also furious with the open borders. And by the way, everybody coming over that open border isn't from Central or South America. All over the world. All over the world. So they've created this new, I must confess, I don't quite understand it, but it's a Latino, they claim, sort of another Univision-type operation or something of that sort. They've created something of that sort for the left. They want to reach more people. Can you believe this? And I'm here, Mr. Bidus. you believe that? Well, I mean, if people are going to do that who are in the company, why can't I comment on it? I'm very troubled by this. I'm very troubled by the fact that Media Matters would have any say in anything. It's a vile, nasty front group for the Democrat Party and the radical left. And they have their partners in this thing called Mediaite. Every now and then I link to both of them to expose everybody to them. And you can go on and comment. The comments from the left are quite vile. Anyway, I was mentioning this as a footnote to this piece in Epic Times. <coughs> ESG. Also as the support of the Biden administration's SEC, as I just mentioned, which announced it will require all listed companies to provide extensive reporting on their greenhouse emissions. And the corporations are all in, not all of them, but most of them, because as I've explained before, these corporate executives and board members have come out of the same indoctrination mill as all the other leftists. And so no matter what company they run, they bring their ideological agenda. It has the support of the Department of Justice, which has just declared it would focus on environmental justice. Well, Mr. Producer, I feel like I just experienced environmental injustice when this facility was hit by a lightning bolt and I was blown off the air. Who can I sue? And the Department of Labor, which announced it will no longer enforce a Trump-era regulation that barred private pension managers from including political causes such as ESG in their investment decisions. So the Biden administration, the American Marxists, the corporatists are demanding, demanding that their ideology be imposed through their corporations, just as the teachers unions are demanding it in their classrooms. Man, we got a hell of a battle. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, emergency personnel, our trucker friends, the people in Ukraine. We can't forget them. See you tomorrow and God bless.